Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers, and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Mike Fisher, the outgoing CTO at Etsy. Fish and I discuss why he sees high-performing teams as accountability communities. Why grounding our identity firmly in our job title is misguided how he's found the courage to ask critical questions of himself and his peers, why his career has been defined more by running towards things he loves than away from things, and why scrutiny is important to his work. Mike has built multiple consequential companies, and through his insights, it's clear why he's so well regarded. You took over as the VP of engineering at PayPal just after the acquisition from eBay. And you scaled your next company until it was bought by AOL and and now you're at Etsy. At what point on that journey have you felt most uncomfortable? I think people in technology, especially probably in all industry but you know i'm most familiar with the the challenge within the the tech industry feel an imposter syndrome a lot and i think in engineering especially because there are so many subspecialties within engineering that it's virtually impossible to feel completely confident about all of them so when you're you know, in a new position, especially one that's maybe outside of how you were sort of raised, if you came up as a you know, front-end software engineer, but now you maybe oversee a full-stack team, or you start even getting into maybe some data engineering or something, it's 100% natural to feel this imposter syndrome. And I think I felt that many times coming out of the military. I had degrees in software engineering, but I had never done it in practice. And so I entered into you know the my first you know sort of industry work with with General Electric as a software engineer, and I felt a you know a sense of imposter syndrome there about you know do I really belong here? You know I'm now at that point I was about seven years out of college, which should have put me probably close to a senior engineer, and like but I hadn't had the seven years of industry experience, so I, I felt that. And then jumping from you know uh, GE into PayPal. Same thing. I wasn't sort of in this, uh, you know, I, I'd come from a more traditional IT background company into this, you know, product engineering world. And, you know, <clears throat> did I, did, did I, you know, I wasn't, that was unfamiliar to me. So that was a, a huge sort of imposter syndrome. Like, do I really know enough to, to lead this team? And, you know, I've, you've always got these sort of, feelings in the back of your mind. And I think um, I felt that, you know, many, many times, um, you know, 
Yeah, it's 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 a very very common, I think, and I I've certainly felt it in in many roles. How did it manifest for you? What what is that feeling, and and what kind of behaviors did it trigger for you? Yeah, I I mean, I think there's a general level of anxiety that that brings to everybody. You know, depending on your your sort of personality and, and things, um, you can feel it stronger or not. I think for me, one of the things I've always you know noticed is maybe a little bit of a hesitancy to speak up because of this, if you're not quite competent. And I've often given career advice of if you go deep into one area and you really feel you're kind of an expert in that area, it can be almost any sort of discipline within engineering. It then allows you to always fall back on that. And you can say stuff, and I've said this you know, times before, well, I'm not a network engineer, so I have a lot of questions. You know, I'm more of a software engineer in my background. So like, you can sort of fall back on that and say, like, I have a specialty that I, if you have questions about this, come talk to me, but I don't know your area. And I, I feel you know, I can, that's how I can gain a little bit of confidence to ask those questions. Because as a leader, that's the, one of the really important things is asking the right questions. And if you're you know, worried about this imposter syndrome or, or not feeling that you have enough to contribute, that's when you can't be effective. And so that's what's helped me is, is try to think about that as like, I, but I do have an expertise you know, in, in an area that I, I've worked for many years in. And so that's what I'm going to fall back on and, for, and use for my confidence. It's interesting you touch on the expertise because I guess the practical use case for imposter syndrome and the, the reason why it exists is to stop us doing things that we're not equipped to do and sometimes the challenge is working out when should i feel imposter syndrome this in this moment and take the advice and the coaching of others and when when shouldn't i and it's so difficult to know where the line is yeah absolutely i i don't know if i i th think of imposter syndrome as preventing us from doing something we shouldn't or just it's an indicator that we're outside of our comfort zone and maybe that's that's good um I, I've one of the things that I've kind of been known for at Etsy was shifting my leadership team um, in different roles. So traditionally, like we were talking about, you come up as a maybe a data engineer, you come up as an infrastructure, you come up within product engineering, security, and um, I've often switched people around and you know said, okay, you were leading data engineering, now go lead this product team or your relief product, you know, try infrastructure. And I think that puts people in very uncomfortable, but it's also, that's when you learn. Um, that's when you get the most learnings and you're like really stretching yourself. And I think, but my role in this, you can't put someone there and then not support them. And I think that's really important as well in, in leadership and management development is having the leader that can step in and help support and make sure they're going to be successful as they're they're going through that learning process. And it sounds like in real time you're choosing these different individuals to move into uh, a, its different subset, and you're you're almost analysing who needs more support or who needs less support, and who can take a certain level of uncomfort in a way. All of those factors um, go into these decisions. I think about things like 
you know, as a as a CTO or a, you know VP of Eng, like what are the skill sets that people need? And I do think at the higher levels in organizations, the broader your um, experience is, the better. Like I said, I really like to, for people to go deep in the early parts of their career, but then there's a phase where they need to broaden out. And so I think about those pieces of this puzzle of where are people missing the experience? And then I also think about the behaviors that they should display. You know, for instance, if someone isn't displaying a lot of collaboration, but that's within our career ladder or, you know, our, our matrix for people, excuse me, that we really want them to, to be able to collaborate. But maybe they're on a team that doesn't have to collaborate much. Well, then I really think about things like what role forces them to collaborate because they're supporting a bunch of other people. And so that's another thing that I think about in this decision is how not only the experiences, but what are the behaviors and the skill sets that they need to develop? And then the last piece you touched upon, which I absolutely have, have learned a lot about um, you know, recently, is the comfort or discomfort people have with change. And some people are very comfortable with the change and are looking for that, you know, they get excited about this new opportunity. And there's others that are not. And I've now learned to really sort of watch for that and to know that people who aren't comfortable with change doesn't mean they shouldn't have the opportunities, but it means as a leader, I've really got to support them through this. Got to give them the time. And I know that I've got to sort of work with them, you know, over whether it's a week or, you know, a couple of weeks to get used to this idea of the change. And so, yes, to- totally that comfort is a factor that should be weighed. If we flip this the other way around, other than yourself, who has the highest expectations of you? I mean, I would think my boss has, although I actually think my team, which is is as it should be, right? I, I really do like this, you know, when I think about the most high-performing teams, they have their community is an accountability community. They hold each other accountable to each other. And those are the teams that perform the best because they will call you. They will call you on your logic or if you're being you know, intellectually lazy with a decision or with a thought. And that's how my team is today. Um, you know, and, and I really embrace that. We're all, Etsy is a wonderful, wonderful culture. We're all very respectful. You know, we're, we're super nice. Um, it's a great place to work. But they will absolutely challenge each other and me on decisions. I remember I brought a decision to a couple of my VPs about a month ago. And I spent 90 minutes defending that decision. And they challenged me every which way about it. And I loved it. I thought that's exactly what they should be. Um, And all of them said up front, like, if you decide this and and we're done, like, we're ready to disagree and commit. But, you know, if if you're ready for it, we'll we'll challenge and make sure this is well thought out. And I thought that was just brilliant. It's exactly the type of culture that, you know, once a decision is made, everybody's on board, but they're okay to challenge it. And I think it makes us better. It it makes me better. And then... They're getting to the to the truth that you're trying to find too, and 
it makes me wonder what narratives you've held about yourself at work that might have worked against you that you weren't aware of i think we we all have our self-identity tied into work in some way and i think that is the narrative that we tell ourselves um oftentimes it's a title right i'm a you know i'm a vp or i'm a director um and i think that's why we see people you know when you go through a layoff or a retirement or a transition that it becomes really difficult and challenging for people is because that is your self-identity. That's the narrative that you tell yourself, right? You say to yourself, I am a CTO. I'm a C-. And then if you're no longer a CTO, like, then what are you? I think you go through this, you know, this time um, that your self-identity is a bit taken away from you. And I think that's a narrative um, that, you know, is always, it plays in the back of all of our minds. I'm a whatever, I'm an engineer, I'm a, you know, I'm a staff engineer. And I've really tried to think and for myself that the title is not me, that I, I really try to think about myself as, you know, what do I want to be known for from a characteristic or behavior, not a title? I don't, you know, I, I prefer people to think about me as like, you know, Mike, you know, people call me fish. Like fish is, you know, is a coach and a leader developer. You know, fish has super high integrity. And I try to think about stuff like that in my narrative much more than fish was our CTO or VP of Inge or something like that. Other than humility, why do you do that? I think it's healthier. I, I know it someday all of this ends, right? Every, it, everything ends. It, someday this, this job ends. It's someday, you know, you leave the company. Um, someday you retire, you know, or go on to some, do something different. And I, I, I know that's going to come up. And so I think it's mentally healthier for people to think about the stuff that is um, much more long lasting, right? That like I can be somebody who cares about other people deeply and helps them. And I can do that for my life. I can do that every day of my life. And it's, it's completely, you know, I can be true to that forever. Um, you know, even if I'm helping my neighbor, it still can be, that's who I am. I can, you know, I can be helping a thousand people today, but I can also be doing the same sort of fulfilling my same mission tomorrow with an individual. Um, I could do it, you know, by volunteering someplace and it, it makes that consistent in my life. So it's not a sort of, Oh, that I was that at that one point in time. So I think it's, it's mentally, you know, and emotionally healthy for individuals to, to think more about that stuff that they want to be known for the characteristics, the behaviors, and much less about the jobs, the titles, the sort of goals like that, that they're trying to achieve. That kind of understanding is so hard fought. It's so earned. How have you, how have you got there? I think like most things it's through negative lessons uh, or lessons of mistakes. You know, you, you really tie yourself, um, your identity to something and then it ends. And then you feel that existential sort of, you know, struggle with what am I? 
I think, you know, I, I've been there with just like many people have been there. You know, I think I've had a lot of, I've benefited from a lot of, you know, coaches and mentors in my life, friends and colleagues who've, you know, like I was telling you about my team questioning and, and trying to dig deep into things. And, and that's been very helpful to help me think through and, and kind of stay grounded and, and come to this sort of philosophy of, of life and career. You said that the, one of the keys was it breaking almost, like having it get to a point where it's so tough that it it has to break and you have to look at what's inside. When's the most poignant example of that for you? I think, you know, leaving a role. So I, when um, you, you know, when one of the companies that I was at sold, um, was acquired by, by AOL, um, it, we changed everything. It changed from me being the CTO of a startup to now, you know, I, I took over sort of responsibility for that division within this bigger company. And it, it all changed sort of my, my title and my narrative of who I was. And I think I, you know, I, I spent a short time there after the acquisition. And that's one time that I really sort of struggled with, you know, well, what am I? If I'm, if I'm no longer this sort of startup CTO, um, you know, am I really, you know, this, this new role? Am I this new person? Um, I think that was a time where, you know, it was a lot of self-reflection and realized ultimately I would, you know, started a consulting company after that. Um, but that was my struggle of like, I really sort of saw myself that was, you know, for, for years and years, my goal had been CTO of a company and, you know, and I, I we, we had that for, for several years and then we were acquired and things changed and that title position, all of that was very different. Um, and so that really made me think, and I, I thought about the things that like, what I really love about the role and the position as opposed to that sort of title and, you know, and, and things. And I realized that like the parts that I loved were teaching and helping people grow and helping companies grow. That was like what really sort of energized me. And that ultimately is why, um, you know, I, I started a consulting company with a couple of friends to think about like, we want to focus on these other startups that were struggling through that of the growth, the scale, the challenges with the people and the technology. And so that was a, a big sort of transition time for me to, to think about what I really want in my, out of my life and what I want to call sort of my, my purpose and mission. And I guess we're, we're motivated towards that purpose and mission often by either two things, the, the fear of something or the pull and the love of something. And as you describe that, it sounds so clear the that feeling of pull and love towards the work that you feel uh, you, you you naturally gravitate towards that you can be really great at. When have you felt the opposite and been motivated by fear? I think there are times. I mean, there are times when, you know, a good friend of mine asked me once when I was transitioning, 
are you running to something or running away from something? I think, you know, very similar to what you just said about there are times when you're just pulled to something. And um, Etsy certainly was that for me. Um, Etsy was a, a pull. And, you know, it's so mission and purpose oriented, doing good in the world. And I had actually known the company for many, many years before I, I joined in 2017. I consulted with them. I, I'd been friends with a, a lot of the people at the company. And so I've, I, I knew that how great it was. So that was but what the have pull. you run away from? Yeah, the runaway, I think, was, you know, in, in parts, a little bit of everything from, you know, running away from, you know, my job in the military of like, okay, I can see where this career is going. And there's, you know, in the military, there's obviously downsides. There's the constant moving um, you know, the relocation, there are deployments and hardship tours away from your family. And I think, you know, I definitely, when I left the military, I was not sad to leave that type of, of stuff behind. There's a lot of that I really loved about the military, the camaraderie, the individuals, you know, their dedication. Um, I, I loved all of that. But I think absolutely, you know, what I wanted to leave was some of those other aspects so I think that's a time. I think, you know, when I, you know, leaving GE was a time where, you know, there was a, at the company, a lot of bureaucracy to get things done. And, you know, there was always challenges to get any headcounts or any funding for projects. And that was tiring, um, you know, to do that for seven years. Um, and I was running away from that and running to a world which was very different, where, you know, your work was the product. And um, so I think it's a, it's always for me it's been a mix. You know, it's um, consulting was the same way. I loved consulting. I loved the people that I worked with. We had a great team. Um, I've been friends with you know the partners that I started that company with for decades. Loved working with them. But there's always downsides. The travel, you know, it was um, we oftentimes would would jump to a new company every week, and we said it's like having a first day every week. You don't even know where the bathrooms are. You don't know who the people are, their technology, and you're really in 24 to 48 hours trying to learn the people, the dynamics in the organization, their tech stack, what their challenges are. Um, that's, you know, you can imagine trying to start a new job every every week, every other week. Um, get, so that's that gets tiring. Um, it's rewarding. But, the, you know, the flip side, it's rewarding as well. Like, I saw probably 300 different companies in 10 years. It was an amazing sort of journey, you know, to look across the landscape of technology companies and see what people are doing, the tech they're using, how they're doing that. Um, it was a wonderful time for that. So I think I, I've, in almost every part of phase of my life and my career, I've seen a sort of running away from something, running to something else. Absolutely. I'd love to dive underneath what happened before you went into the military because from the outside someone looking at the military and looking at a modern day technology company looks at two completely different things two completely different environments that fostered two completely different types of people perhaps and you've moved from one to the other what was what was the seed that that took you to the military yeah. So um, I grew up in a household where my father was an Air Force officer. So he served for 27 years 
in the Air Force. So I grew up moving around, um, you know, with him and, and learning that lifestyle. And so when in high school, when I was thinking about colleges, the military academies were really sort of top in my mind. And, um, and that, that ultimately led me to ap apply for and be accepted to West Point. And um, so and was that, that was just a natural, natural kind of desire to emulate your father. I, I think at the time, you know, this is uh, back in the mid eighties um, when part of it was certainly that emulation of my father and, and the desire to serve my country and to be part of that. I felt, you know, I was kind of raised with that, um, th that spirit of like, you know, to, to serve and to, and to give back. And then I also think that was what I knew. Um, you know, this was a time when, you know, the, the world of information was not at our fingertips. And I knew a couple of different sort of career paths, you know, from either my parents, um, my, my mom was you know, an engineer at the telephone company. So helping with, you know, large installations, um, and, you know, for telecommunication, my father was military. So I knew those, those industries. I knew a couple others from friends, families, you know, the medical, you know, sort of career. And so I think there's a limited amount of knowledge as opposed to today where, you know, um, kids, you know, in high school, can see, you know, if they have any curiosity whatsoever, they can you know, go on and, and grab a video or listen to a podcast about a career. So I think in part it was, you know, that's what I knew. Makes me wonder whether it was easier or harder. Um, I'm not sure. I, I do think we face with this tyranny of choice in today's world. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was a little bit easier, although, you know, perhaps people have missed their calling in the past because of that limitation. If there's something they were truly passionate about, but maybe didn't even know about it, didn't know it existed. I mean, honestly, my, so my story about into computer science was a little bit like this. So my high school, this was again, back in the mid eighties, we didn't have computer science as a curriculum. And so we had a computer club. So they, they purchased a couple of personal computers and it was a club. I took the manual that was hanging on the wall and taught myself to program. No one else did to program. There were just these computers there. I literally taught myself how to program. There were a couple of us that sort of did this to, to you know, learn what was going on inside of these machines. I remember you know, I would play a video game in the arcade and come back and try to code that in, you know, sort of ASCII art. Um, and so then I went to college. I actually didn't know you can major in computer science. I thought I was going to be like an aeronautical engineer. I, um, you know, I, I knew I loved engineering and, and math, but I thought that was, and then at West Point, again, this was like the mid eighties, we were the first class to receive personal computers. So before then, if you were going to program or do anything on a computer, you had to go to a computer lab. And there were terminals set up to, to program. Our class was issued personal computers. And so part of that new curriculum was to everybody in the class had to go through a programming course. And it was, it was very simple. Um, and part of that 
you know, when I went through it, I, of course, you know, sort of, it was pretty easy for me. I know how to program already. And I, of course, loved it. And then I was like, oh, you can study this? Like, this is what you can do? This isn't just like a tool for other... Um, and so I didn't even know. And then I was like, sign me up immediately. And I, that was like my, I think my first year, my freshman. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And I, I knew for that moment. But I, before then, I just didn't know. I didn't know you could do that. It's funny how it, it almost sounded too good to be true. Like this type of play. Almost as if we're all on this route back to our childhood state. And you're like, I can be a kid for the rest of my life. <laughs> I, not only do I agree, I like, I still program because I love it. It's not, it's not, you know, it hasn't been part of my job for, for many, many years. I love it. It is, it is, yeah, it is good. It takes me back to being a kid. It is, I love it because it's a puzzle. You know, it's a, it's a problem that you're solving. It's a puzzle. And to me, it is play um, because it's it's that like fascination. It's not always easy, but it's that fascination of like, how do you solve this? And I love especially, you know, math and physics and, you know, uh, and chemistry are interesting because I find those similarly have this problem type of puzzle. They have a little more strict rules around them, right or wrong. Like you, computer science is, is that but it also offers the flexibility of you can do it many, many ways. You can solve it and I can solve it and they can be completely different ways, but we've both solved it. And I, that's the part that I really like. It combines this, you know, this puzzle problem with the flexibility of bringing creativity and art and, and craftsmanship into it. And that's what's fascinating. It's always been, it's been that way for, yeah, for many, many decades for me now. I, I don't know your parents but I, I for whatever reason i can so visualize the i can so see them in the way that you express there like on the one hand your desire to lead serve your country motivate people almost complete sense of of course but there's also this engineer that loves tinkering and playing and it's like Wow, that is that is the job. That's and it's there's the two such clear north stars. Getting to the very top, not many people get there. How does it change the way that you view status? I remember, yeah. Uh, a CTO or CIO at the time, many, many years ago, he was newly promoted and you know, he, was, he was just sort of sharing some anecdotes with me and some other people. He had to buy a tuxedo or rent a tuxedo to go to this very fancy um, event. And he was telling us that he told his wife, you know, someday this will all and and I'll I'll be you know a software engineer and you know it's just it, this is a this is a role that I'm playing it's it's temporary, and it's always stuck with me a little bit that it, it is I I'm super proud of this role, um, but I know it's it's you know it's it's just it's a temporary role in that like I, we said everything ends at some point people move on to different roles um, you know companies change and need need to, to change people. So 
I've thought a lot about you know this role as I want to embrace it every day, enjoy that, be honored. I am so so honored to to lead this team, um, you know, of fantastic engineers. Um, but I I see it like this is one of you know we've got almost a thousand engineers now. This is one job of those thousand, and every every person's job is important. And I just play a different job than everybody. Um, you know, it's in part because I've just spent a lot of years learning a lot of different things and a lot of a lot of different scenarios, and so I I've got a lot of this sort of you know I, I hate to even call it wisdom, but I've just got a lot of experiences to to rely upon to help with decision-making. I've got a lot of management and leadership experience to rely upon to help the team guide them, um, you know, and, and help develop people. But I do very much view this as just one of a thousand roles that needs to take place. You know, just like we've got to have an SRE handling, you know, something. We've got to have a front-end engineer. We've got to have a data engineer. We all all play valuable roles um, in the company. So I've tried to think about it that, that and then, the other piece of this that I think is, I do think, you know, people, I think people watch and pay a lot of attention to leaders. And more than most people think, um, they're really perceptive of what people, what people talk about in meetings. Oh, they've talked about that two or three times now. It sort of, you know, it must be something they're thinking about. They're, they've met with so-and-so a couple times. They must be talking about you know something, um, and I, I I think about that a lot. That like I've, what I say, what how I behave, how I ask questions, all is under a lot of scrutiny, as it should be. Um, you know, my you know the decisions I make can it could impact a lot of people, and so it's right for them to be you know to 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 hold us under a bit of a magnifying glass. So that's how I, I I've thought a lot about this role and. You know, the importance of it, again, I tried to get, you know, too into it to, to say it's a, it's a role like everyone else's role at the company. They're all equal, you know, equally important. But I also think it is under, it's a role that happens to be under a lot of scrutiny, and, as it should be. And, and I try to think about that and behave, you know, in a way that, um, that, that you know, when people see that or, or think about it, they, you know, it doesn't frighten them. It doesn't scare them. It gives them confidence. Yeah, the consistency is uh, really important in my book. Um, that it it creates you know a, a calming effect for people if they know how you know how, how fish thinks or you know where fish is likely to come down decisions. Um, it it just helps helps the team. Yeah, I'd love to dig dig into both sides of that because you you see status. It sounds like both from a personal level. Uh, and its impact on you and how you handle it, but also in its true state inside a system and what its role plays, what the role is of in this wider this wider part. On a personal level, it sounds like almost by not holding on to it and by recognizing that it's temporary, you that gives you an advantage somehow because you know that it's not going to last forever and so you're you're in the present moment as if you the opposite would be just i guess trying to hold on to it so much that then it slips away from your grasp yeah absolutely it goes back to like that self-identity 
and really trying to make sure that the title and the role isn't, isn't my self-identity. And it's much deeper than that, that it's about the behaviors and characteristics that are my self-identity. The things that, and hopefully those intersect in a very large way, that, you know, I see myself as a coach and a mentor and a people developer, and it's always the people first, um, and then a technologist and people who can help make technical decisions. Um, and that, but that could, but when I think about that as my identity, I could then place it in many, many roles and still feel completely fulfilled. I can be, you know, an individual engineer and still fulfill all of those and feel 100% part, you know, my self-identity has been fulfilled. I can be an architect. I could be a, you know, a manager, a line manager. I could be a CTO. And I think that's what's helped me on the personal level to, to sort of really try to stay grounded and think that this is a role. It's, it's an important role, um, but is one of many roles at the company that are important. And it's not, it doesn't define me. Um, uh, you know, I want to, I don't want to, be, again, I guess, you know, went back to, I don't want necessarily to be defined as, you know, a CTO, but like, I'd much rather people remember me for a great talent developer, a great coach, a great mentor, you know, an, an empathetic leader, all those things would be wonderful and, and how I'd love to see myself. And you spoke about the other side of status and the way that your naturally your actions and uh or the way that your actions are perceived are holds a large amount of value um and it sounds like what you're almost doing there is recognizing the system and the structure that you're you're working within and that must be a huge advantage are there other ways that you've been able to distance yourself and recognize yourself inside a system that have helped you at work. I do love the way you've, you've sort of thought about that of like inside, cause it is absolutely a system. You know, we typically think of the system as the technology, but the company itself is absolutely a system. And the, one of the things that sort of frameworks that I've thought a lot about within systems is there's always unintended consequences of change that these systems are, whether it's our, you know, our marketplace and our technological systems or the organization, the company, the departments, they are so complex that no one can possibly understand how a change is going to affect everything. And so I think an awful lot about from that systems thinking of whether it's, you know, a decision that I made, an org change, um, metrics that we sign up for, you know, you know, metrics that we monitor, like all of those have second, third order effects and, you know, or what we would consider maybe unintended consequences. So I've really tried to think about that in a decision-making system. And I, I think that's exactly, I, I love the way you phrase that. Like, yeah, I'm, my role is in the system. Just like you know, uh, you know, um, you know, a class or a module would be inside of a larger engineering you know system, and it affects lots and lots of other things, and almost impossible to sort of see what a change is going to make in everything. 
So that's that's a way that I've definitely thought about. Yeah, the the role. And that system feels. Um... It's not trickled down. That's the wrong way of phrasing it. But there are certain things that are more important than others. And if you change them, then you're going to have second order, third effects, like you said, that go all the way out. It's interesting to think about our working life in that way and ask what, what, and I think it's different for everyone, what pillars are at the center of your working system that then have those second, third, fourth order effects? What would they be for you? I, when I think about it, you're, you're absolutely right that you can think about your career as sort of a system in which you have these unintended consequences. I think there's a couple areas that really are these pillars to that. One is education. You know, you get a degree in something or you decide to pursue, you know, graduate school in a particular, um, you know, subject area. That certainly is a pillar that is going to influence your career. Um, you know, and that's probably what most people are thinking about. Like, oh, I you know, either did or didn't study computer science and therefore I can or cannot. The nice thing about today's world is you don't have to have had a computer science degree to be an engineer. We see it all the time. And I, I think that's, that's you know, lovely and amazing because these are amazing careers. You know, not only from the, the joy that people get from being an engineer, but certainly from the compensation, the opportunities, you know, the, the, you know, the, the super low levels of unemployment, um, all of these are great. So I, I love that we can take a non-traditional um, approach to this, but education is one, however we get it. Um, I think the other is experiences that as you think about, you know, the skills that you develop through these experiences, they become what you're capable of next. If you've never had you know, any role in managing a budget or a finance class or any of the, or been, you know, or read a, you know, a, a, a book about finance, then in a role that requires you to manage you know, a large budget, you're gonna be at a disadvantage if you're even able to get that. Um, if that's a large part of the role, you know, and oftentimes in even in our tech jobs, that is part of, you know, a large part of it. Um, we manage really large budgets for, you know, for spends with hosting and vendors and so forth, uh, personnel, all of this. And so if that's a skill. So I think the experiences that you you have that build those skills, it could be within a certain type of architecture. It could be within a programming language. It could be within a development methodology. It could be, as I mentioned, financial. So the skills is the second piece. And I think the third thing that I think about as a pillar of this sort of system of your career is your people and your network. And I had mentioned to you, I think, briefly before, you know, or early on is that but that's an area that I, you know, I think I've done uh, pretty well with my education. I've been very, you know, kind of thoughtful about it. Um, you know, I think I've thought a lot about the skills that I need to build up, and I've had the advantage of time um, to, to have a lot of experiences. And then, but that piece that I feel I haven't built that pillar as well is the networking side, where, you know, I've had some amazing professors, bosses coaches, colleagues, and I really feel that I should have stayed in touch and built that network with people um, better, especially in my younger days. I've you know, 
since I've seen it's a weakness over the past, you know, sort of, you know, decade, I've really tried to be better about that. I've tried to keep the connections. I've tried to reach out to people and, and stay connected because that's important. Um, you know, we know, you know, loose ties, you know, it's a Granovetter was a researcher who sort of initially introduced us. We've, we've seen this many, many times reproduced that, you know, the, the power of these weak ties, which is your, your network, right? It's not your close family members and best friend. It's really that like, you know, the hundreds of people that you know throughout your career, the, the teachers, professors, coaches, mentors, colleagues that you've met, there's a lot of power in that. There's power in, we know it from a getting to your next job. The network is, is really, really important because the opportunities come through that, the recommendations, the back channel, all of this. But it's also really important for career advice, sounding boards for decisions. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be part of a, a New York CTO club, um, which is you know a couple hundred CTOs that have been around New York for you know some for for decades. And the advantage of having that network um, is you know is, is really amazing that people reach out all the time about everything from career advice. Um, people in their network that are looking for jobs or looking for opportunities, opportunities that are looking for people, technical decisions, um, vendor recommendations, like the network, you know, and that's just one of many, many, many networks. Um, but I, I think the network is really important for people. And I, I've overlooked it in my, my time, probably, you know, to my disadvantage. And I've really thought about that over the last couple of years of how important it is and, and tried to, to build that up and keep it up. I think that's absolutely fascinating because there'll be so many people listening who who wouldn't have expected the CTO Etsy to say that. Surely, surely Fish is really well networked and has always been great at this. I've I've had you know the I've had absolutely had the benefit of meeting a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of people, but I've. It's really only been the you know I'd say the last couple of years, caught the last decade, that I really thought about keeping this network going and really actively, you know, working on that. Yeah, treating it as its own system, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What are you optimizing for at work now, truly? So I am in my transition out of this role at the end of the year. Um, and into an advisory role for the company. So literally today, my my focus is optimizing the next individual. So we've chosen um, one of my uh, uh, VPs of engineering, Rachna Kumar, um, to be my successor. S cannot be more excited for her I, and the company. I, I'm just stoked that, um, that she's taken over. She's wonderful. She's such an empathetic leader. And, and great technologist. So I'm really optimizing for this transition. So she has been shadowing me for the last couple of weeks and um, we're gonna get that opportunity. I, I really think, you know, I've been a part of, of transitions before, but often it's a, a couple week, you know, which the person's wrapping, you know, wrapping their stuff up, they're saying their goodbyes and they're, they're gone. And I just really think, you know, the approach that that my boss Josh, you know, and you know, and his team have put around this was really, really thoughtful to uh, to give you know both the the incoming CTO and myself time to overlap. Now, Rosh and I have worked together for you know five and a half years, um, so we know each other very well. 
but still there's, you know, her day-to-day job and my day-to-day job separated often. And so this sort of eight week period has given her time to ramp down her internal duties and start shadowing. Um, And so it's given her a, a nice time to like, watch sort of what goes on in areas that she just wasn't um, used to. So that's what I'm optimizing for is a, a really great transition. And I, I think the way they set this up was, was really, really thoughtful. So kudos to them. And there are two things that I'd love to touch upon here, both on both sides. On the one hand, how you you come to a a decision like transitioning out like you are, and second, how you go about evaluating what's important for whoever comes next and managing that that transition. Um, how did you how did you come to the point when when you knew it was right? Yeah, the I mean, I think there's a there's a personal side to it and a professional side. The the personal side. Um, I mentioned my career, so I I consulted for almost 10 years, traveled extensively. I then transitioned straight into this role out of that for five and a half years. I've been working with Etsy. So I've been very, very busy and oftentimes traveling away from my my home here in Ohio. Um, My wife and I have one son who, when I started consulting, was three. And when I started at Etsy, was in middle school. He's now a senior in high school. And you know, as, as many parents do, they can see the end of the time with their children as they head off you know, into the world you know, of university or, or work. Um, and I can see that. I saw that sort of you know, last uh, spring is when I started talking, started talking to Josh about this, that um, you know, I really wanted to take advantage of the last sort of you know, six or eight months um, with my son. So that was the personal side of this is that, you know, I, I've not ever taken that time. Um, I went straight from one role into another. In fact, I thought when um, when I left Quigo and AOL and started consulting that, like, I would probably be have some downtime. Of course. And it was two weeks and I was back traveling, working. Um, so I didn't didn't have that. And I I thought also I, someday I'll stop consulting and I, I'll take a, a you know downtime. And I didn't. I went straight. I was actually consulting for Etsy. And I, I um, the, the, the transition happened so quickly. I literally today, this day, still have my visitor's badge from when I was consulting to when I became full-time CTO. Um, so I, I've not had any downtime. And um, and I really, I really want that time. Um, it, I know it's fleeting for all of us. So that's the personal side. The professional side is we have done so much in the last, you know, five and a half, almost six years. Every, I mean, the the, the improvements to the product, the team growth. When I was there, there was you know, 250 engineers. I think when I I joined, we now, as I mentioned, are closing in on a thousand. The team's grown immensely. Um, all the features that we've, we've done to improve the experience. We migrated to out of data centers into the cloud, into GCP. We've opened offices in Mexico city. We now have 130 um, engineers out of that office. Like it's just, we've done so many wonderful things and um, there's, you know, there's still more challenges, but it's just a perfect time. I think to transition to someone else who can bring 
new ideas, creative ideas, who's seen different experiences than I have. She actually opened the office in Mexico City, Rasha did. So she's got this really wonderful experience um, and perspective that I think is going to really, you know, lead the company well into, you know, the, the next, uh, you know, next sort of, you know, series chapter of, of the company's life. And how is, what is it that you optimize for in the person that, that, that comes in now? Like how, how do you, there are so many different qualities that, we can identify in in someone else um, at this level. How did you narrow them down, and what did you narrow them down to? And, and this was really the decision was um, really my my boss um, Josh. That was you know it was it, he was the hiring manager. It was his decision, but we did talk quite a bit about what I thought the next you know the next successful individual skills, behaviors, characteristics would have. And the very first thing that comes to mind in almost any of these, you know, big roles is leadership, that you really need extremely solid leadership. And at Etsy, that often is comes with from an empathetic leader. And I think that is, you know, it's, it comes because of the, of the culture that we have and the, and the people that we have. And so that was top of my list. I wanted someone who was a very empathetic leader and you know and had demonstrated really great leadership over the years and that comes in many many sort of manifest in many ways um certainly that comes in coaching mentoring career development of others and you know that is a, a, an important part of leadership you know you're you're going to be in charge of you know or you know people that are very senior reporting to you and being able to develop that i think is important um and then making good solid technical decisions you know like and oftentimes that's not the decision maker, it's the questioning. You know, we talked a little bit about like, as a tech leader, a lot of times it's not your decision that matters because you shouldn't be making all those decisions. You really, you know, ideally you're pushing those down, but you're questioning, you're asking the right questions. You're asking the probing questions about how much does this, you know, going to take to operationalize? You know, what is the true cost of this in maintenance and over years? How do we support this? Um, so that's the that's the you know sort of the, the most important things that I, I thought of. The engineering culture and the standards at Etsy are well known, but I um, I wanted to say thank you, Fish, because my partner during the pandemic, um, she was working at a a uh, a company, but um, she 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 had an aunt sewing machine at home, and. Um, she she started making masks for my family and her family and um they were they were amazing and they got so good that she quit her job and uh and sold them on etsy and that's what she did for through the pandemic for 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 a year and a half and it made the biggest biggest world of difference to her and she's gone off on a completely different path now um and just through Etsy, she was able to pursue what, what she felt was meaningful to her. And she was able to give so much to the people around her. Um, so thank you so much. Well, thank you and thank her, uh, your partner, for doing that. I'm so appreciative to all the sellers that did that. That, that that's you know, And I do think they made such a world of difference to, to many, many people. 
And it's awesome that like I've been able to be part of this company that that can do that for people. It's when I met the company in 2008, they were just a startup. And I remember thinking they've got such a beautiful mission. And uh, so that's thank you for sharing that story. That's truly awesome. And thanks so much for today. I've loved every second of it. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. All right, man. Have a great weekend. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.